going to tell you why we're doing that. Uh, just a couple of introductory matters here. We're going to turn to the book of Acts in chapter 6. You can go and uh, turn there and just stick your finger there for now. We've, uh, for those of you who may be visiting with us, we've been walking through the pastoral epistles together for the last couple of months. And uh, last week we took a break from the pastoral epistles as we picnicked together out at Blowing Springs and we spent some time together in a psalm. And this week, because we are going to be ordaining and installing our new deacons this morning, it'll be part of the service itself. So we're coming to Acts chapter 6, where we see, um, as Brandon said with the kids, that need within the life of the church, where these seven godly men were chosen to serve in that capacity. And then next week, uh, we will come back and finish our pastoral epistle study with Titus chapter 3. But this morning... It'll be Acts chapter 6, and I must also, uh, Taryn Putman was so nice to gently correct me this morning after the first service. If you'll notice in your little outline under Christ Serving Ministry in letter B, I've made a little bit of a typo there. Um, That is not supposed to say Chris is king. It It is supposed to say Christ is king. Um, truly, that was an honest mistake. <laughs> Although I'm sure in my flesh, sometimes I desire to be so. But Jesus sh- certainly is. Acts chapter 6, let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, if you are able and willing. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together, shall we? Our God in heaven, we do thank you for your word. And we would ask now that you would meet your word with your spirit in our hearts. Mold us and make us into the men, women, and children that you've called us to be. Mold us and make us into the church that you've called us to be. Use us, we pray. May we bow the knee before your throne. And in my weakness, may your strength be made manifest. And even here today, in this service, may the name of Christ be exalted. And we ask these things in his precious name. Amen. Please be seated. Our confession summarizes the Bible's teaching in regard to the offices of Christ, and for some of you, this may be a new way of thinking about this. Oftentimes, we think of Jesus and His person as Lord and Savior, and that is completely, of course, appropriate, for indeed He is both our Lord and our Savior. 
But historically, the church has also thought of Jesus in regard to his offices within the life of the church. For example, prophet, priest, and king. And as we think about those things, Christ executes the office of a prophet in revealing to us, by his word and spirit, the will of God for our salvation. He is the great prophet. And then as far as his role as priest, his office as priest, in his once offering up of himself to sacrifice divine, uh, uh, to satisfy divine justice and to reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. So we have prophet, priest, and then king. He executes the office of king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. You know, it has been and it continues to be my fervent prayer that Trinity Grace Church would be a church that more than anything else, if anything is ever said about it, it would be at that church, Jesus is exalted. That's what I would want said about this particular church. And when people hear from the word, that you and that I would see that that word finds its end in Jesus Christ, that it points us to him, our only hope of salvation. When people meet you, that they would find in you a people that love one another, that who are willing by the strength of Christ to die to themselves and to serve each other. When they meet you, that they would recognize the spirit of Christ in you. Oh, that the name of Jesus might be, our, be exalted and that people might find Jesus here. Not that he's lost, of course, but that certainly his name is proclaimed. And so, since that's our desire, we do what we do to the glory of God for the good of the people so that Christ may be manifest in our midst. The revelation of the glory of God. And so Jesus, the offices of Christ, prophet, priest, and king, what does that have to do with what we do this morning? of thinking about the offices within the life of the church, the offices of elder and deacon. Jesus ought to be reflected and manifested through these offices within the life of the church. This office of rule, this office of elder, and that office of service, that office of deacon. So again, this morning... We are ordaining and installing our newly elected deacons at Trinity Grace Church. A little over a month ago, these men's names were put forth. You had um, a little over a month to pray and consider. And this past Sunday, you voted and you elected all four of these men uh, to be new deacons, not replacing our other deacons, but to add two as a necessary addition to the life of our growing church um, to our diaconate. And we rejoice with that. But even so, my hope this morning, yes, this is a service that includes ordaining and installing our deacons. But my hope and prayer that just like every Sunday morning, even though this might be, even though this might be a bit different, 
my hope and prayer is still the same. That you would see Christ high and lifted up and that you'd run to him. That you'd run to him. And so, as we look at Acts chapter 6, it talks both about the office of elder as well as deacon, putting more on display that office of deacon, but at the very beginning, reminding us what that elder is called to do. So we'll be looking at both of those. I'll spend more time on the office of deacon, that office of service, because of our, because of our particular service this morning, but I will mention the other as well. In fact, we'll start with that other office, that that office of rule within the life of the church that reminds us of Christ's ruling ministry. And so even as we began reading, we see immediately, Brandon mentioned this to the children just a few moments ago, we see, we see immediately that there is a, a difficulty within the life of the church, and, and that difficulty was that a certain group of people had been overlooked. They'd been neglected in the daily distribution of food. That was part of the ministry of the life of the church. There's been an oversight there. And we could even say that there's been a failure there in the ministry of the church. And it's important to note, it really is, it's important to note that the apostles saw this as a failure in the ministry of the church. In other words, it's not just the spiritual concerns of the church that matter to the church itself but also the physical needs of the people within the body. We ought to be concerned for one another. We ought to have compassion for one another. And not just spiritually, but also physically. So, and so before we get then to either the failure really or even the solution to that, we learn that as, as we're brought up to that point that there's a specific call and role to which the apostles of the church had been called and it wasn't to fix this issue. Now, that is to say that if there weren't any other means, then yes, this would roll back onto the elders of the church or the apostles of the church at that time. And we'll talk more about that in just a few moments. But there was this oversight, and it needed to be addressed. But it wasn't necessarily the call of the apostles to address it. Look with, look with me at verse 4. And this is speaking of the, the apostles at that time, which... We believe is that, that um, which leads into and guides into the elders of the church today. Of course, there's a difference between the elders and the apostles. We don't have that apostolic authority that they did in the early church. But there are elders uh, today in the church that reflect that ministry. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You know, there are indeed different calls, different roles within the life of the church. And the apostles' call, or the elders' call for today, was to those two things. And what were they? To prayer and to the ministry of the word. Prayer and ministry of the word. It is the role of the elder within the church to pray for the people under our care. And it is the role of the, men, of the elder to engage in ministry of the word. And the, the role of prayer is pretty straightforward, isn't it? The elders are to pray. He is to intercede on behalf of the people of God. He is in this way to act as priest, but not as a priest in the old covenant. 
as a priest under the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our high priest. The elders, the elder isn't priest in the sense that there's anyone needed for you as a mediator between you and God. No, Jesus is that high priest. And in fact, we all, as believers in the Lord Jesus, we are all priests. We are all a holy priesthood, as the author of Hebrews teaches us. But, but the elders of the church reflect that role of Jesus that role of Christ within the life of the church. The elder, again, is to pray for the people under his care. We, as elders of the church, ought to know you well enough to know what to pray for. We ought to know your family well enough to know what to pray for. This is a charge, not just to our deacons who are about to be ordained and installed, but this is a continuing charge and reminder to our existing elders and deacons. Because our call is to pray and to shepherd our people. And isn't this what Jesus does as our high priest? That he intercedes on our behalf? That he prays for us? The author of Hebrews says it this way. He says, consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's quite the thought, isn't it? Jesus lives to make intercession for you. That's the, that's the love of our great high priest. That continually he is before you and our Father in heaven. Interceding for you, for your good, on your behalf. That's the love of our great high priest. And the elders should reflect that. Again, Jesus... Remember, executes the office of prophet, priest, and king as our redeemer. And the elder within the life of the church should reflect those offices in his own ministry. The ministry of the word that is mentioned here in Acts chapter 7. Not just prayer, but the ministry of the word. What does a prophet do? A prophet reveals to us the will of God for our salvation. How does, how does one do that? How does an elder do that? An elder does that through the word of God. Because that's what we have. God has spoken. We don't speak on an authority that's not our, that, is, that is our own, but we speak on the authority and with the authority of the word of God. And what has Jesus himself, the word of God, done? Has he not revealed to us the will of God for our salvation perfectly revealed to us that will? Jesus is that prophet. The elders are to reflect that. And then the priestly role, the priestly office. We've seen that, the interceding for us. What about the kingly office? Well, Jesus executes the office of king and subduing us to himself and ruling us and defending us and conquering his and our enemies. He, Jesus has done this and he still does this. He defends those who belong to him. He has conquered the enemy in his death and resurrection. And the elder even is to reflect that rule within the life of the church as part of the ministry of the word, because that's, again, that's where his authority comes from. Only from the word of God, only from Christ. First Timothy says it this way in chapter 5, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. The elders of the church are called to exercise rule within the church, reflecting that role of the Lord Jesus. 
and, and, and protecting the flock of God under his care. For after all, it's not our own, but it belongs to him. Protecting the children of the church, protecting all of us from error, doctrinal error, moral error. That's part of the elder's role. And do we not have, as we look to Christ and, and how he executes his office, do we not have a gracious king? Do we not have a king who has given himself for us? Who knows, in, who knows that type of king other than the Lord Jesus? Who has given his life for his subjects? Do we not have a king who invites the little children to come unto him? The one who rules us, does he not also shepherd us with a gentle hand? Does he not shepherd us with great compassion for those who belong to him? That's how he rules us. Does he not comfort those under his care? This is how Jesus rules us. You see, the elder then of the church is to represent Christ's offices, prophet, priest, and king, to his church. In those, in those three ways. Uh, many years ago, at one of our general assemblies of our church, um, uh, one of the ministers had uh, read a paper to us about the role of the elder, and in that he said this. He said, They are called to teach and preach the gospel of grace, and to assure and seal to all true believers the eternal favor of God. They are to comfort the weak, discipline the unrepentant, and decide controversies troubling the church. They are given real authority to represent Christ in all his manifold grace to the church. Now that's quite the call, isn't it? It's quite the call for the elder to represent Christ in that way to the church. A man who knows the Lord, a man who loves the Lord, a man who loves the Lord's people, and a man who desires you to see the Lord Jesus, not himself, not drawing attention to self, not drawing attention to his own gifts or abilities, but pointing you to the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is able to save to the uttermost. A man who desires you to see Jesus high and lifted up. To see Jesus exalted, glorified as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. A man willing to lead by and in denying himself and holding fast to the word of Christ. That's quite the call. Quite the call. Well, here in our Acts passage, so... We're taught about the office of elder, to pray, engage in the ministry of the word, but then it moves on to this other office because an oversight had given rise to the choosing of these seven godly men, seven men full of the Spirit to address a particular need in their midst. And it's important that we also understand that even as, even as the elder represents or reflects Jesus' ministry in the church, so does the office of deacon. So does the deacon. The, deacon the, the office of deacon is no less a spiritual office. Yes, it is physically related, 
but it's no less a spiritual office than that of the elder. I think sometimes we have this idea that, oh yeah, our elders need to be spiritual godly men and our deacons, well, yeah, they need to be spiritual godly men. The qualifications are the same basically for elders and for deacons. The spiritual qualifications. And these seven men full of the Spirit to meet this physical need. What was the physical need? Well, there were some in their midst. The, the widows of the Greek-speaking Jews. That's what Hellenists mean, by the way. Um, if you ever see that in your Bible, the Hellenists, that's what that is. Those are Greek-speaking Jews. Uh, Jews who have also been influenced, maybe even, from the Greek culture around them. Hellenized, you may have heard that word before. But the widows of the Greek-speaking Jews had been overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And again, it's not that this wasn't seen as a need or as an important aspect of the life of the church. Indeed, it was. That's why we find it here. This is what gives rise to this whole episode. It was seen as a need, but the apostles understand that the meet that the apostles understand that the meeting of this need is important. Yes. And there was this, this compassion for these widows. There was this desire for this need to be met. But the apostles didn't want to fail in their own duty of prayer and ministry of the word by going about this particular business and this particular need. To do so, to do so meant for them they would have been unfaithful in their own call. And yet to ignore the need would have been unfaithful to the mercy and the compassion of Christ Jesus in their midst. So it had to be dealt with. And, and, and it's, it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? Christ, Christ is king, yes, but he is the servant king. He's the servant king. And so the apostles appoint godly men full of the spirit and of wisdom, as verse 3 says, to this duty, to this service, to reflect the compassion of Christ in the midst of the church. And, and that's what a deacon's role is, isn't it? What the office is for. The mercy and service and compassion and grace of Jesus in the midst of the body of Christ. And this really is part of the wonder of the gospel when we really begin to think about it. Begin, uh, part of the wonder of the work of Christ that's worked out in the life of the church. And as we've already learned, Christ is indeed, He is our prophet. He is the Prophet. He executes that office of prophet. But, but Jesus, not only does he reveal to us his Father's will, but he has also perfectly obeyed his Father in our stead. So not only does he say to us, this is what it means to know God, this is what it means to obey God, but he does that for us. He actually accomplishes what is expected of us in our stead. He perfectly obeys the Father. Romans 5 says it this way. Paul says, For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Isn't that a wonderful thought? I don't know how many of you do this, but I do this. I think about how far short I fall from the standard of God. 
And sometimes I know, and I do, and I rest in and relish in the wonder of the forgiveness of sin. But do you do realize it's not just the forgiveness of sin that we have in this relationship with our Father in heaven? Yes, it is the forgiveness of sin, but it is also Christ's perfect obedience being, being counted toward your account. You're not just forgiven. You're also counted as completely righteous because Jesus has done that for you. He's done that for you. And Jesus is our priest. As we learn that he intercedes on our behalf, not only does he intercede on our behalf, but he's the priest who has actually also been the sacrifice. He was the very perfect sacrifice for our sin. He, he gave himself, he humbled himself, and he became obedient even, even to the point of death on a cross. Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Again, Christ, He's our King, and yet He's, he's the one who served us. He's the servant King. Philippians 2, in that wonderful, familiar Christ hymn, Philippians 2, who though He was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Christ in his state of humiliation. This is Philippians 2, right? Philippians 2, he had all the glory with his Father and he, he gave it up. He humbled himself and became obedient. Isn't it a, just a remarkable thing to think about salvation and how that was brought about and that our salvation is brought about through Jesus' estate of humiliation? Isn't that interesting? Was our salvation earned through his state of exaltation or through his state of humiliation? If not for humiliation, if not for his death, his, his perfect life, his death, and his being buried, apart from his humiliation and his suffering, there would be no salvation. See, both of those things are, both of those things are integral aspects of the person and work of Jesus. His work in his estate of exaltation as well as in humiliation. And, and it's interesting as you read through the catechisms of our church, you'll notice in the larger catechism in questions 43 to all the way to 56, it speaks of the person of Christ in both of these aspects. It begins with his offices of prophet, priest, and king, and moves to his work and ministry and his humiliation, then to his work and ministry and his exaltation. And so you may be wondering, well, what does this actually have to do with the office of deacon? Why are we, why are we off in this way? Brothers and sisters, this is, this is so important in understanding this work in the life of the church. Because the deacons of the church are to represent Christ in his humiliation. Let me say that again, because that's a heavy call. The deacons of the church are to represent Christ in his humiliation. And immediately as we hear that, we might say, I mean, and I get it, and we might go, well, who would want to do that? Right? I mean, who, who would want to have a ministry 
that represents Jesus in his humiliation, wouldn't you much rather want a ministry that represents Christ in his exaltation? That sounds a lot more fun than dying to oneself and serving for the sake of another. You know, several weeks ago, and I'd said this in a sermon, and several of you have mentioned it to me since, so I think it was as convicting to some of you as it was to me. And, I, and it wasn't mine originally, of course. I heard it from somebody else. But that everybody wants to be a servant until you're treated like one, and then that changes. And I thought about that as I was reading here and thinking about the office of a deacon. Have you ever considered the difference between humbling oneself and being humiliated? Those two things are different. Those two things are different. You know, we might often be humiliated. There are some of us that think we're humiliated a bunch. Why? Because what's it mean to be humiliated? To have my pride hurt. To have my pride hurt. Somebody humiliated me. They made me, they made me look not quite as good as I think I am. Isn't that really what we're doing? Humiliated me. And yet, no matter how many times we might be humiliated, that doesn't necessarily mean that our hearts have been humbled. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have humbled ourselves before the mighty hand of God, as Peter says. You see, when we humble ourselves, we do just that. We humble ourselves, and when we humble ourselves, is it possible for anybody to humiliate me? No. Because I've already humbled myself. But you see, what we do... What we do is it's always humiliation. No, I shouldn't say always. That's not true. It's oftentimes humiliation for us. We don't think about humbling ourselves. We think of what other people have done to us and humiliating us. And when we are humiliated, what do we do? We respond with anger and with pride. And the hair on the back of our neck stands up because they've thought of me or spoken of a, a way in me that I just don't like. But had I already humbled myself and somebody speaks to me in that way, guess what? It doesn't really bother me. You know, both of these things Jesus walked through for us. Yes, he humbled himself. He gave up what he had, Philippians 2 again. He humbled himself, but he was also humiliated from those out there. But do you know why he didn't respond in anger or in hatred or in bitterness? because he'd already humbled himself before his father. Jesus has done that for us. And I wonder, and I think it's a fair question, can we ask that of ourselves? Have we humbled ourselves before the mighty hand of God? How do you respect, how do you respond to being embarrassed or quote-unquote humiliated? Angry? Mad? Bitter? Could it because you think more highly of yourself than you ought? I know that's the case for me. Could be for you too. 
But we think about those things and we think that Christ has done this for us because we're thinking, who would want that kind of ministry? And yet Christ has done it. And brothers and sisters, are we not thankful? Are we not thankful that Jesus has done that for us? That he's humbled himself. He's humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. And we all as followers of Jesus are to are to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And the office of deacon is to lead by example in this. And there's, there's a sense. There's a sense in which the elder is to do this as well, as every believer is. And in fact, when it talks about kind of the government and the polity of our church in, the, in our book of church order, it states that, that if there are no deacons of the church... Maybe the church is too small. They don't have that. There aren't men gifted and qualified to stand. Then those duties fall on the elder of the church. Because they too are to model that for the life of the church. But here, exactly what's going on in Acts chapter 6. The apostles didn't think they could do this effectively. They needed other godly men to step up and they to appoint them who were full of the Spirit, gifted in this area so that they could fulfill this need. Brothers and sisters, you deacons that are going to be, nomina- or going to be um, installed and, and ordained here in just a few moments. And again, this is not just for us to understand the deacon in the life of the church, but it's to understand the heart of our Savior. And the deacon's heart is to be after the heart of the Lord Jesus, to share His compassion and His mercy and His grace. Because the deacon's heart is to break over the things that break the heart of God, to break the heart of the Lord Jesus. Our deacons should be men whose hearts are soft toward the needs of our people. This is an, this is an office of mercy. Mercy ministry. It's not just the, and it's, and it's interesting, isn't it? as well as in our book of church order, it talks about our, our deacons appointing other godly men and women to assist them in their duties. This ought to be one of those things in our, in our church that is building from the bottom up of teaching us all how to be merciful and compassionate and gracious to one another. And, and a lot of times people think it's, you know, the deacon's role is just simply the because um, you see them doing this a bunch, and they do a great job with it. They do a great job in their other roles too, don't get me wrong. But most of us, when we think of the deacons, we see them taking care of the building and cleaning and doing this and fixing stuff. And yeah, that's part of their role. But it's not just the building that might be in disarray and needs attention from the church. Oftentimes, the lives of God's people are in disarray and need attention from the church. Oftentimes, God's people struggle, and we need the ministry and the care and the attention of God's people. And our deacons do a great job of that as well. And and again, brothers, sisters, why is this so important? Why are we spending so much time on this? Because as with every aspect of the church, Every aspect of the church, I want you to see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. I want you to see exalted. I want you to see him honored in our midst. And the the elders and the deacons of the church ought to reflect 
the wonder and beauty of Christ. When we do what we do, when we do as we are called to do, what happens? Well, we can look at this text. Notice verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied great in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is, this is our desire. This is my desire, that the word of God would increase, that it would go forth, that we're do, as we're doing, as we're called to do, that God would add to the number of his people, that God would save sinners and bring people into our midst for his glory and for your good. And again, there's a difference, of course, between the, the work of the elders and deacons the way that they carry out their call and that of the way that Jesus carries out his. Because why? Because for the elders and deacons of the church, even the best of men are at best just what? Men. Even the best of men are at best just men. And we will fail you. We will fail one another. But Jesus never fails. He's never failed his people. And he'll never fail you. And he never fails in his office. He is the one that reveals the will of God for our salvation. He is the one who perfectly intercedes on our behalf. He is the one who faithfully rules and reigns and defends us and conquers for us. And he accomplishes all of that because he has accomplished our salvation already. He has obeyed the word of God on your behalf. He was the very sacrifice for your sin, for your failure, for your disobedience, for my failure, for my disobedience to that which has been revealed. And he has come not to be served, but he has come to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. And all this, all this he's done so perfectly. Perfectly. And it is on him that God has placed his stamp of approval by raising him from the dead. Think about that. I don't know about you. Sometimes when I struggle, sometimes even when, yes, even I might begin to doubt, I'm but reminded that God put a stamp of approval on the Lord Jesus Christ when he raised him from the dead. If you wonder if what Jesus has done for you is enough, that's all we must do. Jesus has risen from the dead. May Christ be exalted in this place. That's my hope. That's my desire. It's the hope of the elders. And may his ministry, may the ministry of Jesus continue in our midst and may it be reflected by our elders, by our deacons, and may it be reflected by you, God's people, loving the Lord Jesus Christ, humbling yourself, dying to yourself for the sake 
of another. And may he add his blessing to this church. Would you pray with me, please? Our God in heaven,